Catholic Conversations on Catholic Spirit Radio. Hello and welcome to Catholic Conversations. I'm Steph and we are here with my good friend Shelly for Steph's Book Nook. So today we're going to go ahead and talk about Story of a Soul, the autobiography of St. Therese of Lisieux. So each of us read a different edition of the book. Um, but I believe Shelley told me that you can read it all online. It is open source at this point. Um, so that should be available if anybody wants to pick up a copy of their own or read it. Um, I think I got mine at the dwelling place, but that is no longer an option. Um, but I'm sure you can order it from any major Catholic publisher, Amazon. I'm not sure if Barnes & Noble would have it, but you can look. You can order it online at Barnes & Noble. Oh, can you? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Good to know. <clears throat> so... Um, I figured we'll we'll start a little bit about uh, who's who is Saint Therese. So Shelley, what have you got on Saint Therese? Oh, Saint Therese is one of the thirty-seven doctors of the Church. So in more than two thousand years of Church history, only, only thirty-seven. Only thirty-seven people have been named doctors of the Church. Saint Therese was a French woman who lived um, to only be twenty-four years old. She was a Carmelite nun. And she uh, lived in the late 1800s, uh, comes from a family of saints. Yes. Yeah. So she had, um, so I believe that she had the five, she was one of the five sisters or girls that survived past early childhood in her family. And they were all nuns, weren't they? Yes. All five of them were nuns. Uh, Four of them with St. Therese in the Carmel together. And then the other one, Leonie, was a visitation nun. And she has a, just a, she's a servant of God as well. And her parents, uh, St. Therese's parents, are St. Louis and St. Zelie Martin. Yes, and in the, in the introduction or the prologue of my copy, at least, um, they had mentioned that um, Louis Martin and Zelie both were thinking about going into religious life, tried to go into religious life, um, and didn't end up going that way, and so they ended up getting married. So I think they did, St. Therese did have a really strong family foundation in the faith um, that was promoted high, highly by the parents and the sisters. And I did pull up a list. So here's the order of each of the siblings. The oldest sibling is the, the eldest daughter, Marie. The second is Pauline. The third is Leonie. Um, the fourth is Helene, um, but she passed away <clears throat> at the age of two or three. Um, then there was Joseph Louis, and he died um, shortly after birth. There's Joseph Jean Baptiste. He also passed away shortly after birth. Then there's Celine, and then Melanie Therese who passed away, and then Therese, who we're discussing today, St. Therese. So she was the youngest of, there were nine children altogether, five of them that lived past early childhood. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about Louis and Zaylee. So they were the parents. Um, I think they both were in fields in which they created things, right? That's correct. That's correct. Um, Louis was a watchmaker, 
had his own jewelry shop, and Zaley was an expert lace maker in um, Elsinon, France. Uh, it was, it's a very common thing, and she had her own business. She had employees who worked for her, and she was so successful that eventually Louis uh, left his work as a watchmaker and helped her manage her business in the home. And that's so surprising to me because this would have been in the 18. 18- what? So they got married 1858 is when they got married. So like in the 1860s, you've got this woman who is a business owner. Exactly. And raising her children in the faith, running her own business out of the home. Um, and, uh, you know, both of them from, again, very, very strong faith. They were both secular Franciscans. I don't mm, think that's very know commonly that. known. So there was a... Um, great deal of charity was very important in their family. You, when you read the story of a soul, there are stories about Therese uh, asking her turn to go give money to the poor. Or, um, so that, so that as well as the regular devotional life of, of a Catholic French person. However, at the time, they really were um, unusual. In the late 1800s, um, well, actually, since the French Revolution, you know, it, it was a very difficult time to be a Catholic. Not too different from today, really, um, that there was a, a lot of cynicism against the church, uh, a lot of persecution of the church. And so the uh, religion of the day, uh, when St. Therese was a girl, was very um, focused on apologetics on reparation for the sins of other people, um, and it r- really could grow to be very a very harsh sort of thing. So her spirituality that we'll talk about here in a little bit was really uh, revolutionary, really. Um, although in a lot of ways it was a revival of, of the heart of the gospel, a, rival, uh, a revival of things like um, of the devotions of like the Sacred Heart, of St. Margaret Mary, of, um, of the merciful God. Yeah, as opposed to the, I don't want to say vengeful, but the the justice, the God of justice, and more of the God of love side of it. Yes, is, I think I think that comes out in in her uh, autobiography here. Yeah, and I think you know, and she lived in a time in which, and this surprised me when I was reading through it. They talk about her receiving communion right when she was first able to, and then when she was next able to. And it's very different from today, where I feel like today, if you have the ability to, you could go to daily mass, you could receive communion as long as you're not, you know, in a state of mortal sin. You can receive communion every single day. And it seemed like when I was reading St. Therese talking about it, she could receive when she was allowed by her confessor. So she would go to confession, her confessor would tell her, like when she could. And I, I know that she was so excited when she wrote that her confessor said that she could receive communion on feast days. And mm-hmm. that was a huge thing. And I think, well, how many feast days are there? I mean, there are a few, right? But th- that's certainly not every day. And I think, you know, I think that her perspective on it was very different because it was so limited. It wasn't so available like it is today. And so I think it made it more of an sort of more of a special event or a special occasion type type instance, um, which I feel like you get from reading her. Um, well, one, because she is a saint and clearly <laughs> viewed it in, 
you know, how important it was, but also because, yeah, you're, you're not receiving all the time. I think that's true. I think, um, again, it was a very different, uh, spirituality at the time. I think, uh, the next Pope, Pope Pius, Pope St. Pius X is the one who made, uh, an effort to, for people to receive communion more often and to receive, um, because he felt that maybe things were getting too far the other direction. Mm-hmm. Um, but yes, I mean, it's, it is very interesting when you read the book about what, how very special it was for oh, yeah. her and, and for her family. Um, and I'm not saying that it's bad that we can receive every day. I don't want to imply that, but just <clears throat> because it's something that I, th- I think we do take for granted. We're not always thinking about it when we go up to receive communion. We don't always, hopefully we do, and hopefully we can remind ourselves about mm-hmm. how important it is. But um, So I don't think it's a bad thing that we have the ability to do it, but just that it's it's a bit different in how we approach it now. I think that's true, very definitely. And you, and I think that really comes across, again, in, in her book, how how much it meant to her and just the preparations that were involved. I think this book is a really beautiful window into um, not just St. Therese and not just into her family, but into the perspective of the time. Um, and it, it can really open open you up to uh, looking at your own life in a different way, like you said, to say, wow, you know, we can go to communion every single day. And that wasn't always true for people. What, what does that say to me? What does it say about how I should be approaching the Lord? Right. Mm-hmm. Right. So... so um, yeah, so let's talk a little bit about how the book is laid out in terms of the format. So this is interesting. So this is Story of a Soul, and there are three different, from what I read from my intro or my prologue. Oh, I have an intro and a prologue in mind, so it could be either one. I don't remember. But it does talk about the layout of the book itself and how there are three different manuscripts. So the first one is, mean they label them A, B, and C. So manuscript A, which is... I think it's close to probably 70 or 80%. I mean, it is the majority of the of the chunk of the book. And that is St. Therese was asked by her, her older sister, who was her superior, correct? That, that's correct. She was the superior of, of the Carmel at that time. And she had asked Therese to write down some of the some of the family memories, some of the... Because I at that time, she knew that St. Therese was getting more ill and was closer to dying. Yes. Now, St. Therese um, came down with tuberculosis. Like we said, she died when she was only 24 years old. And, um, you know, she really... You know, they said, well, what are we going to say about her when she dies? At that time, um, the Carmelite... She was a Carmelite nun. And they all lived in enclosure, lived in very small groups, you know, never, never left. And um, when someone would die at one of the different, different Carmels, one of the different uh, nunneries, that they would do what was called a circular and say about, oh, you know, so-and-so died in the odor of sanctity. And here are all the wonderful things she did in her life. And here are all her wonderful qualities. And they're saying, well, what in the world are we going to say about a 24-year-old little girl who's like, she's done nothing. They, they could find nothing extraordinary about this person. Now, note that a doctor of the church, they could find nothing extraordinary about her. And she had only been she a nun so for, unnoticed. what, eight, She nine entered years? when she was 15. 
Yeah, so which eight, is part of the eight, fun of the story. Years. Yeah, right. Um, <laughs> but no, we'll so talk that's about. so that's why the first thing they, this is when they first said, "Oh gosh, she's going to die. What in the world are we going to say about her?" So Pauline asked her to write this first manuscript, and her name was different when she was a when she was actually at Carmel, right? Wasn't it? That's correct. She was Mother Agnes. Yes, Mother Agnes. And then later, they're like, "Okay, she only wrote about when she was a girl. We need something about when she was, you know, in her time." As a nun, what, what, what does she have to say about that in her spiritual? That is manuscript C, and that was um, Mother Mother Marie de Gonzague. So the head of the of the Carmel would switch; it would rotate who was in charge. Okay, so at this time it had switched from Pauline to this Mother Marie de Gonzague, and it would switch around um, back and forth. So she's the one who asked for manuscript C. So what does that leave with B? Manuscript B are letters that she wrote to her sister, Marie of the Sacred Heart, who was also in there in the Carmel with her. So, And she was the second daughter, I believe? Marie? Oh, no, she was the oldest. She Marie was the was oldest the daughter. Oldest. Pauline, Pauline was, was the, the second. second. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so we get a good A, B, and C, a good mix of family life, growing up, the Carmel, Carmelite experience, and then little bit more of her philosophy on on life getting close to god how you should how you should view life how you should approach should approach that as well so i think we are ready for a short break and then we will come back and we'll get into the young saint therese growing up in a house full of sisters and we will be back in just a few short minutes. You're listening to Catholic Conversations on Catholic Spirit Radio. In the 1600s, the Ottoman Turks pursued the invasion of Malta with plans to attack Rome. The Holy League was formed to defend the Christian civilization against that invasion. Soldiers and Christians throughout Europe invoked the Virgin Mary against the daunting Turkish forces by praying the rosary. The Turks were defeated. A feast day called Our Lady of Victory, and more currently known as Our Lady of the Rosary, has been celebrated ever since on October 7th. This October, hundreds of rosary crusades will occur in this worldwide event. Please join Catholic Spirit Radio as we gather to join via live audio with Dan and Stephanie Burke, the displaced Carmelite nuns of Sacramento, Chris Stefanik, Bishop Strickland, and more. Come with family and friends to this powerful local prayer gathering at Catholic Spirit Radio in Normal. Meet outside on the north parking lot around the large illuminated rosary. Bring your lawn chair and your rosary. The rosary begins at 6.30 on October 7th. Hello, and we're back with Steph's Book Nook for Catholic Conversations. And I am still here with my buddy, Shelly. Um, so let's jump into the text of the book. Let's jump into Manuscript A specifically. We're talking about St. Teresa's young life and how she grew up. So how would you like to start, Shelly? What do you think is the most important? Oh, there's so much that's important, but I think probably the key to reading this manuscript, the story of her book, so what, is she says it in her first paragraph. So chapter one, paragraph one, and what she says is, is um, I begin, therefore, to sing what must be my eternal song, the mercies of the Lord. So everything she writes about this is seen through the lens of God's mercy. You can look at the story of her life and be like, 
here's this tragic, horrible thing that happened, and here are these annoying people, and here's this bad thing, and here's another rotten thing, and then she suffered horribly and died, you know, and can be like, oh my gosh, this is awful, you know, but she's, (laughs) and can't you do that with your own life? I mean, seriously, we were just talking earlier about what your day was like, right? Oh, yeah. You know, the things you go through with your family and friends, you can look at that through the lens and be like, okay. My, my son was so super annoying and whiny this morning and it was driving me up a tree. Okay, we can go that, but you know what? I got to have breakfast with my son today. It was a gorgeous day and we went for a walk and, you know. Right, and it's so, kind of, you know, the, the innocence of children, right? So Exactly. So we went out, right? And all I'm thinking about is, do we have the diapers? No, we don't. So who do we bum a diaper off of because I'm <laughs> ill-prepared? And, and like my kid doesn't, he doesn't notice any of that. He's just having a great time. He's exactly. seeing fire trucks and... People are smiling and waving at him, and he's just having a fun time. Exactly. And Therese is asking us to enter in, into that, into that spiritual, not to be childish, but to be childlike, to enter, see things through the lens of mercy. And she presents her whole life through that lens of mercy and invites us to do the same thing, to look at our lives and say, thank you, God, to look at our lives and... um, to take what she calls her little way, that little way of spiritual childhood, of trust, of abandonment to God, of being that kid who's going out on this trip with their parents and, hey, the parent can worry about the day. And it's not that she didn't work. And we'll get to that, especially when we, later when we talk about her trip to Rome and, and all the things that she, she did to attain what she thought was God's will for her life. It's not that she sat back and coasted. That is not the little way, but it's, it's that lens of mercy. And I think that's so important when you read this to understand what perspective she's coming from. Right. And she always, she mentions a little bit, a little bit as she's like more in the young teenage years, but she describes that she's like a little ball that Jesus has and that Jesus can, can use how he needs to use her and she needs to be available and be, mm-hmm. and be willing to accept what comes to her and move and keep Jesus in sight and, and I think that was a really interesting, um, an interesting, I don't not illusion, but an interesting visual for me mm-hmm. to see that that's how she wanted to view herself. Yep, you know, as as a tool for God to use, and um, yeah, and tried to center her life around that while appreciating the small things, um, being merciful to those around her, and helping. And we had talked briefly earlier about um in our preparation for this wonderful show a little bit about her and her the the little kind things that she did right when she was young her she made kind of friends and they would bury the birds and sort of these little heartfelt things Very that she would do. Well, the, the dead birds. I, I'm sorry, I should have specified. I assumed that if St. Therese is a saint and she's burying birds, they're already dead. <laughs> Otherwise, I don't know if sainthood was really her. No, I'm just kidding. Um, don't judge me for that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but um, no, and always, and she used to, you know, befriend the people who were hard to get along with, or she would try to reach out to people who, who struggled more or who... You know, well, and that that was more later. You know, I think the first part of her life that we're talking about now um, can be broken down into two things: um, before her mother's death and after her mother's death. And that really, mm-hmm. you know, like it would for anyone, what a profound effect. Her mother Zeli, as we mentioned, had this you know 
was home with her kids, running her business, but she also had cancer. And of course, you know, back in the day, there wasn't quite as much to do about it. And um, so by the time, you know, by the time Therese was four years old, her mother had passed away. And she mentioned in her book how how her personality changed. Yeah, she went through this dark period that where she really struggled. I mean, it sounds like she was really struggling with with not feeling happy and with, you know, I think she she called it, I mean, not not the same darkness that she had later in life, but there it was still this period of darkness for her and her her family in that. Well, exactly. I mean, it was a very loving family, an amazing she had a beautiful, beautiful relationship with her father, which um, you know, she was his his queen, mm-hmm. you know. And um so I'm sure that was a great comfort, you know, her her sisters, her older sisters kind of took over mothering. Pauline became like a, a, mother, a second mother to her, which again is a profound uh, point in this book, something to really work on. So that beautiful family bond was there to support her um, in through these times. But even with that, you know, it's easy to look at someone and say, well, she had all these benefits, but, you know, losing a mother is losing a mother. Yeah. It's, and no and, matter at what age you mm-hmm. are, that's, you know, that's always a significant, significant loss. Yeah. And, and when she's so young, I mean, that's only, I feel like, more difficult when, when you when you should be able to lean on your mother, and then she's not there. Exactly. And she says, she mentions how her whole personality changed. She had been very outgoing and bubbly, and she becomes very withdrawn, very reserved, very frightened of everything, you know, that she, and um, she was the baby of the family, and, you know, she... We talked about this, but she didn't know how to take care of herself, really. She didn't. Her sisters were always doing her hair for her. And, you know, she thought she was like a big heroine one time. I love this story. Her second oldest sister, Celine, was always the one who would like water the plants and make the beds. And Celine was going to be away. And so Therese goes and she's like, oh, I'm going to be, I'm going to do these things for her. And she, this was going to be her big sacrifice for the day. Okay. She was, she watered the plants and made the beds and did all these things. And then Celine didn't say anything. She didn't notice the sacrifice she made. And so Therese got all despondent and despairing. Okay, here's this person who's this great saint who later, you know, it's almost laughable when you think about who she was, but how much it is like us, how much it is like anyone, you know. That, yeah, you, uh, want, you want to feel appreciated, to feel even appreciated. for the little things. And in school. Um, yeah, she, yeah, in, in school she had she had trouble getting along with some of the people that, you know, that she was with. And she she always said that she was so emotional at school, too. And mm-hmm. that, I mean, it kind of makes sense with, I think, the perception of Therese. And, but but also, she, she says at one point, and I'll see if I can find it, but she says at one point that she feels like she just, she loves too much. And she mentions that one of her friends went away and she found this little mm-hmm. ring and she kept it for so long to give to her friend and she was so excited and she had done this thing and and then her friend came back and she gave it to her and she just didn't really care all that much about it right she she mm-hmm. she didn't love it like like what saint therese thought that she would love it and so she just and a part of that really i think demonstrates her struggles at school because she mm-hmm. struggled so much to get along with other kids and with other people her age. Well, she, you know, she says here, as I was of no use for games, I should have preferred to spend all my time reading. You know, she didn't know how to play like the other kids. They, you know, she she was kind of 
an outsider. She she didn't really fit in. She was, um, and it made life difficult for her at school. Yeah. So, I mean, again, I think these are the things that so many people can relate to um, as you read through it. Oh, definitely. Definitely. And yeah, and she she disliked boarding school. She just wanted to get back home and she viewed it as, you know, a challenge that she could try to overcome. And, and you know, one of the things that really struck me is even at a young age, she disliked boarding school a lot, but she never brought that home with her when she came mm-hmm. home. She always was thankful to be home and she'd run to her dad or she called my king and mm-hmm. she would run into his arms and, you know, she never, she never dwelled on, I don't like it. I don't want to go back. I don't want to do this. I'm done. Like she just kept pushing through it, realizing this is just a challenge I have to do and I have to face and I'm going to not cause a, a big thing of it. I mean, other than her emotional outbursts, which she fully admits that she had, <laughs> she had a lot of a lot of tears, right? But yes, that is true. You know, she mentions um, how she um, that she she became very uh, scrupulous. Uh, if you don't know what scrupulosity is, it's when you see things as sins when they're not. When every little thing you think you've done something wrong. And she would get herself worked into knots. You know, she'd be like, oh, I did something wrong. And then she'd get mad because uh, at herself. And then she'd get mad at herself for being mad at herself. And it just turned into this great yeah. big spiral like of meant- emotion. And she made herself, she, you know, she mentions how she was a pest to herself and to others, that she was such a burden. And it just, yes, she was annoying. She admits that she was an annoying person and something had to change. Yes, and, and she said she would focus too much on if she said the right thing, if she hurt somebody else's feelings, she would just cry. And mm-hmm. here it is. Again, if by accident I offended anyone, instead of taking it the right way, I fretted till I made myself ill, thus making my fault worse instead of mending it. And when I began to realize my foolishness, I would cry for having cried. In fact, I made troubles out of everything. Yeah, and that's... So So what happens? What happens next? What happens? What changes Therese? What makes her this beautiful nun? Yeah, so Therese got sick. Yeah, is that where you're... She did. Yeah. Her beloved mother, Pauline, she loses a mother a second time. Yes, Yeah, so Pauline decides that she's going to join the Carmelites. Mm -hmm. And Therese talks a little bit about how she she felt she was so happy for Pauline. And, you know, she was so happy about these things. But she also felt really abandoned by that as well. Mm -hmm. She kind of felt like she was being left behind, left alone a little bit. Um, And she talks about the few times she got to to visit her through the grill, right? Mm -hmm. Because they were... They were cloistered. Um, Cloistered. So she got to occasionally see her, but she says, well, it's not the same. It's not the same as being able to to hug her and Mm -hmm. hold her and and see her every single day. And um, so, yeah, it it was a really, really big loss for Therese, especially since that was her second mother. It was. I mean, Therese really went through a lot of – the Lord allowed a lot of very difficult things in her life so that he could bring – grace through that suffering and um so that he could mold her and teach her think about how young she is she's learning this to, you're talking about like these friends who don't react the way you want them to about things um losing your mother lo- having your sister go away learning that things change in life that you can't cling and grasp 
to people in this life. You can't cling and grasp to the things in this life. And that is really foundational for who she became and yeah. for what happened. So, yeah, so Pauline goes away and she became very, very sick. Um, they really, you know, there are all kinds of theories as to what exactly happened, but she relates this and really everyone was just beside themselves. They did not know what to do for her until a miracle. Should we do it? Do we do a spoiler or do we just let them read it themselves? We can do a little spoiler. It has to do with our, our favorite mother of Jesus. Hmm. So, and she does say at that time when she was sick, I think that was that Celine where she said, oh, I kept crying out to Celine and how annoying I must have been because if she wasn't at my side, I just <laughs> kept crying out to her. Crying and for her sister. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And then, yeah, this this miracle happens, and it short, sort of shifts her life into into more of more of an intentionality. I feel like she she views her life very different from that point on, um, in how she approaches approaches things. That's true. That's true. And she really does um, grow quite a bit here's just a line here says in a short time god and his goodness has lifted me out of the narrow sphere in which i lived that she needed to you know she learned how to look outside of herself she learned um that reliance on god um Really, the key, though, is that turning point. Is a, is a famous, I don't think it would be spoiling to bring it up, because anybody who has heard of St. Therese has heard of her Christmas miracle. And really, you know, after the illness and recovering from that and going through this trial of scruples and being a pest to herself and everyone, it comes to a head one Christmas Eve. And um, I don't know, do we tell the story or no? Well, let's quick go to a break. Wonderful. And then we can come back and sort of jump into that so we'll take a quick break and we'll be right back you're listening to catholic conversations on catholic spirit radio catholic spirit radio listeners friends and families are encouraged to attend a free three-part series entitled arguments against abortion various experts will offer facts insights and experiences which will help you to understand and defend the pro-life stance with confidence and grace Presentations begin at 5.15 p.m. in the historic St. Patrick Hall in Bloomington on September 18th, 25th, and October 2nd. Register now on the church's website for this important and timely event. Welcome back to Catholic Conversations. This is Steph, and we are in Steph's book nook with my good friend Shelley. And we're continuing to talk about Story of a Soul, Autobiography of St. Therese of Lisieux. So let's talk about this Christmas thing. What happened at Christmas, Shelley? Well, they had a Christmas tradition in their family. They would always go to Christmas Eve Mass. And then when they came home, they would have their shoes by the fireplace for St. Nicholas, of course, to leave presents for while they were at Mass. And so they get back from Mass this year, this year, um, Christmas Day, 1886. And what happened is they got home and her father had forgotten to put out the presents. And he made a comment about this, sort of a, a frustrated comment about, oh, I hope this is the last year for this. And normally, you know, what the way she had been, I guess very hypersensitive, very self-focused, crying at everything and burdened herself. Would, this young woman, she would have burst into tears and made a big fuss about it. But there, standing on the stairs, God gave her a grace, a singular grace, and she recognized it, and we need we need to honor that 
with all reverence that this is not just something that she in her own strength of mind chose to do because she had been trying by her own strength and she had been trying and trying and God looks for that and us to keep trying now he had given her the grace and Therese was no longer the same Jesus had changed her heart choking back my tears I ran down to the dining room and through though my heart beat fast I picked up my shoes and gaily pulled out the things looking as happy as a queen Papa laughed and did not show any trace of displeasure and Celine thought she must be dreaming but happily it was a reality Little Therese had regained once for all the strength of mind which she had lost at the age four and a half. And this was this was the point. This was the turning point where she went from this young, wounded girl who was trying, who was seeking God, but just couldn't pull it off. This grace came, and she responded to the grace and was able to find her vocation to, and to be able to live for other people, to be to focus on others and not on herself. Yeah, and she calls it the the period in which she was granted this grace to all of a sudden grow up, mm-hmm. right? Yes. She said she felt like she had finally grown up in this instant that God had given her. And she, she even says, he made me a fisher of souls. I experienced a great desire to work for the conversion of sinners, a desire I hadn't felt so intensely before. I felt charity enter into my soul and the need to forget myself and to please others. Since then, I've been happy. So then uh, it was a cakewalk after that, right? Oh, clearly. It was easy? Clearly. No problem. Nothing. She just, everything went smooth. Of course. No, of course not. (laughs) Of course not. God can give you the graces and, you know, you you still need them every day, right? Oh, yeah. Because... You got to keep working out. It's not, oh, we're done now. Right. Happy ending. Right off into the sun. Nope. Right. And and she worked hard. She worked hard to. So how did she respond to this, Grace? What happens? Where, where, where are we going with this? She became so known. Well, how did that happen? Yeah. Well, she so she wanted, she felt called to become a Carmelite like her sister. And, but she was young. She was young for the age. And so. You know, she she was told she needed some special permissions for that. Well, that's true. Well, first she went to her father, right? Yep, got to stop. She'd say, start okay, got to tell dad, you know, okay, God wants me to be, be his spouse, you know. And, and one of the things she's, she mentions, which I find so beautiful, is this father, right? I mean, he's, he's a single dad now. Mm-hmm. He's got these f- five daughters, one of which is a Carmel, was... Um, was Maria Carmelite yet? At this point, I think Marie was already there. I don't okay. remember. And I think Leonie's her own story, which is so amazing. Um, I can't. I think Leonie was actually. Yeah, and gone. for and her she, father was so supportive. I mean, for yeah. a father to have all of these daughters leaving. I mean, as a parent, I can't even imagine. I mean, I hope that you know my my boys would consider the priesthood one day, at least consider it. But I mean, if every single one of them became a priest or a, a monk or something, I don't. That'd be that would, that's a tough a tough. I mean, I know it's for God, but mm-hmm. I mean, he was very supportive of this, and he, he was. But it, you know, you're right; it was a struggle for him. It was a loss. When you, you know, it's beautiful to read this, read it as a parent, and see it through his eyes the sacrifices that he's making and what you know the surrender that he needs to make to God. That you know that your child's life does not belong to you, right? You do not own your children, and he recognized this. But don't I? I'm kidding. <laughs> If my kids ever listen to this, I'm just kidding. Mommy's joking. Um, <laughs> so yeah. yeah, so she goes to her dad, 
and he he says yes you wanted to share something from the Yeah, so I pulled this I think this is such a such a great little portion. Going up the hill, he pointed at some of the little white flowers and this is her father. Like lilies in miniature, and plucking one of them, he gave it to me, explaining the care with which God brought it into being and preserved it to that very day. When I listened, I believed I was hearing my own story. So great was the resemblance between what Jesus had done for the little flower and little Therese. I accepted it as a relic and noticed that in gathering it, Papa had pulled all its roots out without breaking them. It seemed destined to live on in another soil more fertile than the tender moss where it had spent its first days. I think that's great. I mean, she's talking about this little flower and how she feels connected to it and its roots belong somewhere else. Mm-hmm. And that, that's not in the world as part of... It is beautiful. And putting in a little plug here. I'm on the vocations committee for our parishes. No, you and just had to do God it. bless you parents who, you know, who pray for this for your children, but pray for their future, whatever it may be. Please pray for your children. Grandparents, pray for your grandchildren. Those of you who are young, keep your hearts open, keep listening. You know, talk to St. Therese. She's the you know, the patroness for vocations for our diocese. You know, um, yeah, it's beautiful. And so here she is, she's fifteen. She wants to enter, and she's ready to go now. Therese is a fireball. She, you know, she is. is and I, I just want to mention briefly. When I first picked up this book, I had a very different version of Therese than I than I do now. I thought that she was just this meek, mild type saint. Where you know she talks about her little way, and I thought, oh, that's cute, right? But but you read it, and it. It really is amazing. She really was full of fire. And she whew, she is not afraid to break the rules to do she, wh- what she thinks God is pushing her to do. She, she's a tough lady. I mean, and when we get to the Carmel stuff, you know, she was in charge of forming the novices. Okay, she dies at 24, okay? And she's in charge of forming the souls of religious. This is what they recognize, you know, the, what her superiors and recognized in her. Um, and she, she you was, know, she had to fight. She had to fight to become a Carmelite at such a young age. She did. I mean, we won't spoil everything she had to do, but yeah. But w- one of the things she had to do, right, which I think this is important because I think this is an important step to to where she is. So she did her father and her and Celine, Celine. they ended up going to Rome and they sort of went on this pilgrimage. And part of that was her needing to talk to the Pope mm-hmm. and um, and talking to the Pope. I mean, can you imagine this this girl? And she she tried to wear her hair up to look older. Yes, and when she went to see the bishop. Yes. Yep, when she saw, yep. And, you know, there, there's a lot in there about her trip to Rome and about her faith in general and and how she wants – she, it's not just the feeling part of it, right? And in Catholicism, I think this is a unique thing. There, there are a lot of tangible, physical things that that Catholics have or utilize in their lives. And and part of my favorite thing in, when on their trip to Rome is the Colosseum. Mm-hmm. They go visit the Colosseum. Therese and her tour group is told, no, 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 you can't go into the Colosseum, but here we're just going to look at it. Therese was not happy about that. Her and Celine were not fans of being told that they could not go in. 
It's not that they couldn't go in. It's because they wanted the desire of their heart, their desire for martyrdom. You know, we talked earlier about her courage, that her, her lack of fear of suffering, her embracing of suffering and seeing the usefulness of it. And again, any of us, like me, <laughs> who struggle with suffering, <laughs> they have someone like Therese to show you the beauty and usefulness of it. And she was a she was attracted. She wanted to be as close as she could to the place where these people offered their lives for God. Here's this woman, this 15-year-old girl, I should say, not even a woman yet, who wants to sacrifice her entire life for God. Where else does she want to be? Right. It was a spiritual drive. It wasn't a drive of disobedience. It was not a sinful drive. No, it, it was it a was, she wanted to. She wanted to be one of the martyrs. Mm-hmm. She wanted to have the faith of the martyrs, that, that unquestioning, that that passion of faith and so her and her and um Celine end up going down and they find the little mark that they had made of where the martyrs had died and yes. she talks about how of a move such a moving experience it was and that they snuck down because she she wanted to be on that soil she wanted to be where the blood was where the martyrs were and mm-hmm. and that was important and the same thing with they went and went to St. Cecilia's tomb. Yes. And she got laid down in the tomb. Because she wanted to, to touch the dirt that was touching the tomb. And and then there was, um, she took that little stone. Oh, that it fell. The, it that fell had out. fallen out of the... Well, th- there's so many loose. beautiful little stories in here that this of God's divine providence, of honoring... When we turn to Teresa's little way is one of confidence in God, great confidence and trust. And going to him like a child, she wanted to bring something back to her sister, Mother Agnes. Mm-hmm. You know, and here she is in this shrine to it. And she's, you know, she wants to bring something back. And she just mentions this in prayer to the Lord. And what happens? Doot, doot, doot. This little piece of stone falls off the wall for that she can pick up and take home to her sister. Yes. God honoring those tiny little things. And that again, that's a, another theme through here of learning to keep your eyes open, of watching and trusting in God. And he and you'll see these little things he's doing for you every day. All this goodness that he's pouring out on you if you have your eyes open for it. And that's what she was doing. And, and going like, going and into that the boldness too. of putting yourself out there. I mean, this whole yes. trip to Rome of going to the Pope, of saying to him, and speaking to him when you're not supposed to speak yeah, to the Pope. Yeah, they told her, saying, don't speak me, me. to the Pope. But she felt called and she felt it. And Celine said, if you're, do it, speak it's, to him. It was, and the, it, mm-hmm. yeah. That driving of the Holy Spirit. And I just love, she kind of summarizes up this section here. Um, you know, she she had done all she could. I, and, you know, she had she had been there. She, you know, the, spoken to the Pope and she's in tears because, you know, he says, well, if, if God wills and it's still in hanging, she doesn't, didn't get him to say yes. And she's crying, but she says, I felt a deep inward peace for I had made every effort in my power to respond to the appeal of my divine master. So she was able to surrender to this silence, to this lack of answer because she had done everything she could and be in peace. Can we do that? Well, you can know. we do that? And she still mentions, she she understands that that's it. She understands she has to trust God. And she does, but she's still sad about it. So, because she wants to go in right away. She wants the yes. She wants the, so she still trusts, even though it's not what she wants necessarily. Exactly. And that is just, in seeing the struggle of her, her sadness, her disappointment, but still being able to look past that. Yeah. So let's jump to Carmel. So she gets home. What happens? 
Yeah, so she gets home and she, she eventually hears right after Christmas that there is a letter for her. Yes, the letter says you get to enter, but, but you have to wait. But you have to wait. You have I think to it wait. Was like three, oh, three months she had three to wait. Three months they wanted her to wait until after Lent because, you know, Lent in, in a Car- Carmelite monastery is, is not an easy life, especially then. This was not, this is not a life for wimps. It was very, very aesthetic lifestyle Mm -hmm. and so they didn't want this young girl entering right in the middle of lent you know right it it was hard enough on the outside you don't need you know so she had to wait and she decided to use that time instead of being like okay well i'm gonna kick back and just enjoy the world and just but no she's like no i'm gonna practice those little virtues i'm gonna keep growing and until i get to go in so that she, she would have her heart ready um so yeah she enters the carmel and that is a great place to take a quick break so when we come back, we'll talk about her and Carmel and all of all of her adventures there. So hold on tight and we'll be right back. You're listening to Catholic Conversations on Catholic Spirit Radio. In the 1600s, the Ottoman Turks pursued the invasion of Malta with plans to attack Rome. The Holy League was formed to defend the Christian civilization against that invasion. Soldiers and Christians throughout Europe invoked the Virgin Mary against the daunting Turkish forces by praying the rosary. The Turks were defeated. A feast day called Our Lady of Victory and more currently known as Our Lady of the Rosary has been celebrated ever since on October 7th. This October, hundreds of rosary crusades will occur in this worldwide event. Please join Catholic Spirit Radio as we gather to join via live audio with Dan and Stephanie Burke, the displaced Carmelite nuns of Sacramento, Chris Stefanik, Bishop Strickland, and more. Come with family and friends to this powerful local prayer gathering at Catholic Spirit Radio in Normal. Meet outside on the north parking lot around the large illuminated rosary. Bring your lawn chair and your rosary. The rosary begins at 6.30 on October 7th. Welcome back to Catholic Conversations. This is Steph in Steph's Book Nook, and I am here with Shelley. So we've been talking about Story of a Soul. Let's talk about St. Therese in Carmel. So what makes, let's let's bring this back to the beginning a bit, right? Um, we had talked in the first segment a little bit about St. Therese's, how she wants to sing eternally the mercies of the Lord. So how did she do that in Carmel? Well, here's the thing. Let's, again, jumping back to the beginning, um, in a very hidden way, in very simple and little ways. Speaking of this little way, that doesn't mean the easy way. Right. That doesn't mean the easy way. Think about how they had, here she is on her deathbed and they're having to have her write things down about her life and her spirituality because they have nothing to say about her. And this person's a doctor of the church, which means she's one of the greatest saints of the Somebody who has something to teach all of us, that the popes of the church say, this is someone who has a unique, spiritual, important insight for you, along with people like St. Augustine. Right. Um, and that, those are some big shoes to fill. So, what is it that she wrote about? And it, again, it's, it's this little way. It's um, how easy it is to say, uh, say EWN calls, EWTN calls you up, Stephanie, says, Stephanie, we love your book show. We need you to go on TV. Nah. And you change the lives I of wish. millions of people. EWTN, if you're you know? listening, please call me up. Thank you. <laughs> and that's your sacrifice. Okay. Yeah, because that, that, that's, and that that's is so big, right? And that's, that's the big way. That's the way some people are called to. Right. They have one big experience, one big, big moment. A huge, in which, a big mission. Some big mission that God really wants them to do. A lot of us are not there. 
Right. Uh, you know, you know, what are they going to say about me when I die? You know, you know it, we all have our stories, but this is a way that is little, and it's painful because it's humility, it's hiddenness, it's putting up with a, a thousand and one little irritating things every day with cheerfulness, with a smile, with gratitude, seeing the mercy of God in everything that happens to you, good and bad. And, you know, I've read before, you know, it, it can be difficult to make the right decision when it's a big decision, right? But it also can be a lot easier because it's not that constant making the right decision over and over and over and over again. If it's just one big decision, you make the right decision, you're good in that moment, you can, you know, move on. But with the the little ones, and I think that that is something that is extraordinarily relatable. You know, she has to make the little ones over and over and over again. And especially in when she became a Carmelite, she was moving into, she she didn't enjoy boarding school, which we touched on, because she had trouble getting along with people. I mean, not getting along, but she had different interests than other people mm-hmm. around her and different personalities. And, and, he, and going into Carmel, there's still some challenges there in terms of, you know, how do you get along with the person that approaches life differently than you or does things differently than you? Exactly. I mean, this isn't walking into a club where everybody thinks exactly the same way that you do, even though they all are called to the same charism, to the same, you know, prayer for souls and prayer for priests that they that they were called to in the Carmel. There were old people there. She was the young one. There were people who had different spiritualities. We were talking about like this sort of sort of Jansenistic justice of God, making reparation. You know, people were coming from different different personalities. This was not an easy place to, and you're with them. These same twenty some people, day in and day out, cloistered. With nobody with them. knew. Until you die, right? You, know? you, you can't. You can't just. You know. You need to make it work. Go to Barnes and Noble and sit and have coffee and take a break. Exactly. There's there is no taking a break, right? There, you know, and it's beautiful to watch her do that. What you know? What did she do with the lady who was splashing her in the face with with the the water when they were washing things? What did what did she do about you know? I, I love her approach. Here she is. You say, okay, yeah, Shelley. You know. She's got three of her sisters in there with her, you know. Of course, it's easy. But guess what? When it was time for recreation, she didn't choose to be with her sisters. She actively chose to spend time with the difficult person, with the annoying person. And I wonder how much of that is based off of how she know how annoying she was. Right. You know, she teaches you to take the things that are your weaknesses or that were your weaknesses and to use them in helping others. And in learning to be charitable towards other people, she knew what it was like to be the annoying person. Right. You know, she and she understood the importance of, of you know, of, of being, of living the gospel, of being like our Lord, of going to that person. Right. And being charitable and being kind. And, mm-hmm. and even if you want to, you know, even if you're annoyed, it's you take on that burden and you say, well, this is what God wants from me. We're all God's children. And it's, you know, you, mm-hmm. you have to view it through the, the lens of, of littleness. And even in her suffering and death, you know, um, you know, 
you're just trying you're just trying to get through the day you know how how do you approach that it's beautiful to watch that you know all these people who knew they were losing her like i said she was basic she was giving direction to all these novices and they're like oh, we're losing our you know so they're totally harassing her here she is dying and they're like i need your help with this i need your advice and that she's totally henpecked you know she's like you can't even die in peace right <laughs> right because they're trying to to ounce every little bit of of help they can like I from said, her this this manuscript see she's writing it while she's dying <laughs> i mean yes she even mentions in the manuscript i'm so sorry but i get so tired after writing and mm-hmm. i'm writing this in little chunks because this is all i can do for right now and yeah and she still has that sense of of duty to her superiors who have asked her to do this mm-hmm. and she wants to follow through and and yeah she she mentions that she she never really turned people away when they came to her for help i'm sure her life would have been a lot more peaceful if she mm-hmm. could just die in peace or die, you know, but. Well, and one more thing I wanted to mention about Therese I think is really, really important when you read this. Um, St. Therese didn't have a lot of extraordinary mystical type experiences. Hers was a very ordinary faith life. And at the end of it, it was a great darkness. She couldn't believe this person who her whole life was looking forward to heaven. Oh, I'm going to see my mother and my brothers and my sisters again in heaven. She couldn't believe in heaven at the end. She had trouble believing in God. She really, in a genuine way, it would this darkness and how she got through it. So any, again, she was a real warrior. You think, oh, here's just this little girl. No, this is someone who really fought for her faith. When she was in that spot and couldn't believe anymore, if you can't believe anymore, if you're at a spot right now and you're saying, I just can't one more minute, go to St. Therese because she knows exactly what you're talking about. And I think that that's really important to think about because, you know, you read the book and you think, oh, she's got this beautiful relationship with God and she views she views herself as this instrument of God and it's it's wonderful to read about but it can occasionally be a little bit well I don't have that with God necessarily so how do I relate to this and then yeah she gets to the end of her life and she really feels that she feels so separated she feels she doesn't feel that connection mm-hmm. but she knows she knows it's there but she she's struggling with it and I think that is that is such a beautiful thing that to to read. I mean, it's it's terrible to read, right? You don't want anybody to go through that. But but it is something that I think a lot of people experience, and it's to hear her talk about it. There's something there's something about it. I don't know what or well, how shows, to put it, but she shows you how to do it. Yeah, she shows you how to get through it. She, you know, she says, "Well, this, you know, yeah." She writes, "You know, this is what I." I, you know, I believe, credo, I believe, you know, it's um, recognizing that our faith is is not, fe- like you said earlier, our faith is not feelings. Our feelings are beautiful and good, and you, God uses them many, many times, but sometimes you don't have that string to play on. Right. Sometimes you're not feeling it. Sometimes I'm not feeling going to Mass. <laughs> sometimes I think, oh, it'd be so much easier if I can just sleep in. But you know you know that you should go. You know that it's important. You know that it's, and yeah, and I think, especially, you know, Therese talks about how she has all these feelings, at least when she was really young, and to know that she had to, at some point, lean on that, lean on that because she felt the separation, and she didn't feel, she felt in the dark. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, so... 
where do we go from here? What's 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 going on now, Shelley? Let's talk about the the new in the news thing. Oh, you mean the sister of Saint Therese? Yes. <gasps> Leonie Martin. We've mentioned her very briefly. Yeah, so she was she, not a huge part of this book. She is I mean, she's in it, but she kept trying to well, Leonie, um, I said, was was the middle child yes. of the four girls, okay? And she had been very sickly. She, she had a lot of problems. People looking back now think that perhaps she had a learning disability. Some people suspect mm. maybe even something on the autism spectrum. Um, lifelong health problems, but especially as a child, she was delayed. She was not as smart as her other sisters. She was had a horrible temper. Her mother was beside herself. What is going to become of Leonie when I die? It was really very desperate. Leonie is a heroine. She is actually servant of God. Really? Martin. She is, her cause for canonization has been opened. And um, again, extraordinary. And she was a disciple of the little way. She clung tenaciously through her life. Now, she was the one who did not enter the Carmel. She was in and out and in and out and in and out of convents. Mm. Uh, in the visitation order, primarily. She she tried at first um, to um, over and over again, but she has her own story, and if I can, can do a quick little plug here, um, there's a book from Ignatius Press called Leonie Martin, A Difficult Life, The Sister of St. Teresa Lucia. It's, again, an amazing story. Heroic woman. Yeah, which is surprising. I mean, not surprising. I mean, all of those daughters had had beautiful lives. But, she's yeah, she's really not in St. Teresa's story. And I think it's because Leonie was, she kept trying. She was trying so hard to to enter her her life was just so different from the others it was just so hard she's the one who struggled so you know if you're the one who who struggles if you if you have a child with a learning disability if a child with who's a behavior disability you know leon maybe leonie's looking for you right now and wants to help you out because she was really part and by the end of her life just the most beautiful peaceful nun in the visitation order. So yeah, it'll be interesting there. to see what happens with her going on in the future. And I'm excited. Yeah, so um, hopefully we've piqued your interest in uh, Saint Therese and her family, and we'll see what happens with Leonie in the future. And maybe she'll be canonized as well, along with Saint Therese and uh, Louis Martin and and Zelie. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think I think we've done a good job covering it. Is there any last minute last minute additions mm-hmm. other than we love St. Therese over here. I can make one more plug for vocations. Oh, yeah, man, do oh, it. Oh, yes. Pray for vocations. Pray to St. Therese of Lisieux for vocations to the Diocese of Peoria and at Historic St. Patrick's every second Sunday, the second Sunday of every month at 3 p.m. There are prayers for priests, um, rosary, divine mercy chaplet, and other specific prayers for priests and vocations of our diocese. If you can't make it with that, the diocese also has a, a monthly holy hour uh, led by Father Chase Hilgenbrink. Um, if you're discerning a vocation, go 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 talk to Father Chase. Go go look at the CDOP website and um, and Saint Therese pray for us. Saint Therese pray for us. And I think that's it for Steph's book nook here on Catholic Conversations. Join us next time, and maybe I can convince uh, my buddy Shelly to do another one of these someday. We'll see. Um, I know she's a busy, busy lady. So uh, 
yeah, I hope everyone enjoyed this and um, read it. Read Story of Soul. It, it will change your life. Thank you and God bless. You've been listening to Catholic Conversations. Download our podcasts at catholicspiritradio.com. 